from WCL Pure, this is One Ocean. Hey everyone, Reese here. Today, we'll hear from another great environmental leader from the North Shore of Hawaii. Our guest is Natalie McKinney. She's the executive director of Kukul Hawaii Foundation, and she'll share her story growing up in Hawaii, her connection to the island, uh, its energy, how she can't help herself from picking up trash on the beach or wherever she sees it, and maybe most importantly, how she builds and organizes grassroots coalitions to make environmental change. This is hands down one of the best lessons I've learned from collaborating with Kakua Hawaii Foundation. And it's crucial to our collective cause, to protecting the ocean and our environment. I really enjoy Natalie's cool, calm confidence in this episode, and I hope you do too. Real quickly though, before we get into the episode, I want to thank a recent listener, also named Natalie. This one, uh, Natalie, is from Grand Canyon University. And thanks for sending us an email and looking for ways to help WSL Pure. We've got a note coming your way. And if anyone wants to drop us a line, just email oneocean at wslpure.org. Okay, without further ado, here's our guest, Natalie McKinney. Natalie, for those who don't know you, how would you describe yourself? How would you introduce yourself to the world? Yeah, so um, I'm Natalie Mihana McKinney, and I was born and raised on the North Shore of Oahu. Um, my mom's family is a fourth generation Portuguese immigrants who came to Hawaii from the Azor Islands. My dad is a surfer from California, and I was very fortunate to grow up on the beaches of Kaiki and have a deep and very passionate caring for the ocean and love of the ocean. That's so cool. I forgot that we have that connection of the, the Azores. Yeah, the Portuguese. <laughs> My mom actually was just there this summer and just really enjoyed it. And is, and is she from San Miguel as well? Uh, São Miguel, yeah. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. So cool. Um, yeah, there's a, such incredible history here uh, in Hawaii and all these different cultures that have made this place so special. What was it like growing up here? Um, well, there it was pretty rural out here on the North Shore um, in the late 60s, early 70s. There was maybe about 20 or 30 families where there everyone had some kids. 20 or 30 families? Yeah. <laughs> Total, oh my I mean, goodness. No, not, not really. I okay. mean, but, um, and so uh, all of us um, kids from many of these families, like the Coles and the Johnsons and the Hatters, and um, we all grew up together in a really close-knit community. We didn't have cable out here, so we didn't have TV. So we spent all of our time on the beach and running around and picking lily and yeah, body surfing and surfing and just really enjoying nature and coming home when it was dark. That's so amazing. That's such a special upbringing. And I mean, that's why everyone who comes here loves this place so much. It's so special. It is a pretty magical place as well. I mean, just besides the nature of it, um, there's a lot of history, a lot of um, mo'olelo or stories about this place. And um, the interesting thing is that Ke'iki Beach is actually called Pupukea. And um, we refer to Pupukea as the uplands here on the North Shore. But um, Pupukea is a white shell. And so if you're familiar with the beaches here on the North Shore, you know that the sand is very coarse and thick. And it's more shell-like than sand-like. Yeah, it's super cool. I love I love the sand here. I I love this place. I'm very lucky that uh, my work brings me here once in a while. Uh, this is now my third trip here for work uh, in three year or in two years. So pretty, pretty special. Yeah, I um didn't really appreciate. I think maybe the surf culture so much. Growing up as like a girl, the boys were kind of mean to us in the ocean. They'd send us in, and uh, we were 
relegated to body boards and uh, girls didn't really surf when I was growing up. Uh Um, It's nothing like it is today with like the women's circuit and whatnot. They were like the Jeannie Chessers and the Rel Sons of the world and they were the pioneers, but they were just a little bit older than us. But the boys were really mean. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm I'm sorry to hear that. I'm I'm not surprised uh, of that in surf culture or in any culture. Um, do you surf now? I body surf and I love it. Like nice. that's my my strongest connection to the ocean. And then I have very vivid memories of my dad teaching us how to surf at Chun's Reef and pushing us in on the boards and paddling us back out. And yeah, I, I love the ocean. I just, I, I don't know, I tap into my inner dolphin and just <laughs> get nuts in the barrel and I get body womp and it's just an amazing, takes you back to when you were five. I almost feel like body surfing is an even closer connection to the ocean than surfing. I mean, you're instead of standing up on a wave, you are really, really in it. Like when I body surf, I feel like, oh, I've got this real close connection to that energy. Yeah, absolutely. And it's nothing like going for a big body womp to just bust out all the nerves and everything that you went through for the day and just reconnect to your soul and appreciate the place you live and this amazing universe that we all live in. And on your inner dolphin... I was recently at a, uh, a a meeting with a lot of researchers um, at the Pacific Marine Environment Laboratory, and there was this one researcher who's doing environmental DNA work, where uh, they can test what DNA is in the water, almost with like a chlorine test, like a little litmus test kind of paper. It's a really incredible technology, and uh, with just a liter of water collected off the shoreline, you can see whatever DNA of different species are in that water. I mean, literally dolphins, whales, fish. It's just a little litmus test and all that DNA is just floating around. And so we as surfers and body surfers, particularly who are ingesting all this water, I mean, we're technically sort of ingesting a little DNA. I don't know how much that translates into our ability to body surf (laughs) and to use echolocation, but it's a really funny thing that I just learned that I'm just fascinated by that all that animal DNA is just right there in the water. Yeah. Another magical place here on the North Shore is Waimea Bay. That's Mm -hmm. like probably my favorite place on the planet. And it's because... um, you know, in the winter, it's rough and treacherous and the wa- the water comes across the shore and people come in from all over the world to surf the place and there's helicopter zooming. And then in the summer, it's just this beautiful, pristine, placid, crystal blue place where we use as our like backdoor swimming pool and can go jump off the rock and this the beautiful view of the valley. And it's one of the only ahupua'a that's still intact here on Oahu. And that also is a very magical and special place to me. Cool. Amazing. Um, so this place is so special to you and you get to work to protect it. You get to do incredible work in the community um, with Kakua Hawaii Foundation. Do you want to tell us about Kakua's mission? How long have you been with the org and you know what are you working on these days? Sure. So uh, Kakua Hawaii Foundation was founded in 2003 by um, Jack Johnson and his wife Kim. Um, I was fortunate to be able to grow up with the Johnson boys and they're just amazing, lovely souls. And Jack was lucky enough to find a wife who was just as amazing as him. And um, our mission is to support environmental education in the schools and communities here in Hawaii. Um, I've been with the organization for 10 years. Uh, Originally, I fled from the North Shore and ran away from all the surf culture. I didn't want to marry a surfer and (laughs) had aspirations of other types. I um, actually have a um, Master of Fine Arts in uh, children's theater. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And so um, I pursued that for quite some time and then left Hawaii and went to California to um, experience something else. And as such, I would um, every year come back and help 
Kim and Jack with the Kokua Festival, which was their annual fundraiser, which was how um, they kind of started the foundation through raising funds through that endeavor. So um, three years in a row, I would come home and work at the festival and help them with the cakey stage, which was the, um, there's two stages at the festival. So we'd book kids uh, centric kind of, uh, events and, and performers and whatnot. And the third year I came home, um, Kim said, uh, myself and two of the other employees are all pregnant all at the same time. And we're all going to give birth within like a month apart and <laughs> you need to come home. <laughs> so I said, Okay. I'll, I'm coming home. And, um, so I've been here at the foundation for, for 10 years and it's just been really amazing to be able to tap into, um, back into my love of community, um, as well as this really special place, and um, as well as the the youth. I think that that's been the most amazing thing, and particularly over the past five years, watching a lot of the youth activists and youth engagement and totally kids really getting fired up about taking care of the planet from just kindergarten preschoolers. We actually have um, a school that's on Schofield Barracks base called um, Daniel K. Inoue Elementary School. And the preschoolers decided that their project-based learning uh, for the year theme was going to be plastic. So these are like four and five-year-olds deciding that they want to focus on plastic pollution, which is pretty cool. That's so amazing. Do you think that your, your MFA uh plays a role in your work? Do you think that that sort of, um, that, that, that study that you did plays a role now in how you engage kids and think about making it fun and making it something they all want to be a part of? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I also think that part of being in the nonprofit sector is you're doing a lot of outreach and um, each event is kind of, each outreach or each touch to the community, each touch to the school is a different event, if you will. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of see them as being like a, theatrical event or um, an event where you have invitations, event where you need to publicize, event where you need to um, promote, event where you need to actually do planning and engagement, um, reporting and costumes and um, set, you know, and it really is when I think about kind of the nonprofit sector, you're doing all of these different events and engaging different audiences and the number one thing that I think we do very well here at Kokua Hawaii Foundation is meet people where they're at. And so that engagement um, is very natural and it's not forced. So I think that, yes, for sure, the, my my background in, in the arts as well as working with kids. I mean, I don't really get to spend that much time in the field with the kids, but you can, the staff will tell you that um, I turn it on when, when I get to, to have that face time with the kids. <laughs> you have a giant smile on your face right now because I think you're you're recognizing your own passion for that space. Like I, you turn it on. Is this a whole nother, Natalie, a whole nother character? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it is. But at the same time, um, it's the work that we do um, to see the joy on the children's faces, whether they're like harvesting carrots or um, devising a micro sifter for ocean plastics uh, or to submitting testimony for, um, for legislation. It's all really amazing. Self, it's very fulfilling. What are the core problem areas here in the island that Kakua is tackling? It sounds like plastic is one of them, but you also have a, a farming program. And then is are there any other programs that uh, or particular problem areas that you're trying to address? Yeah. So here at Kakua Hawaii Foundation, we have five main programs. Two are grant programs where we give grants to schools to help them 
um, offset the cost of environmental projects on their campuses. Those are project grants. We also give grants to schools to get students to outdoor destinations so that they can connect with nature and and um, fall in love with it. Those are our field trip grants. And then our primary program programs um, are our Plastic Free Hawaii program, which aims to minimize single-use plastics. Our Aina in Schools program, which is a farm to school initiative um, where we have a K through six curricula that we've developed or with lessons around garden-based learning, nutrition education, and composting. And then um, the original program at the foundation was the three R's school recycling program. And it's really interesting because as we know, uh, recycling and waste management has become a real global topic, um, especially with some of the things that are happening with countries not wanting to take our trash anymore. And Can, he, let, let's explain that just sure. for a second. And this is something we've talked about on the podcast a little bit, but um, you know, here you are and you're addressing single use plastics here in Hawaii and doing what you can to protect plastic from going into the ocean on your shores. But so much of what you see here isn't from here. Yeah. Actually, everything that <laughs> washes up in the beach is not from here. Um, most of it is derelict fishing um, gear and material, uh, nets, buoys, baskets, um, uh, the majority of that and then that photo degrades and becomes microplastic and that's the majority of what we're picking up on the shores. Um, once in a while, while we're at a beach cleanup, we do find like some single-use plastic water bottles that have markings from other countries, but very little of the the trash that's washing up from on our shores is is directly from Hawaii. And that's that's got to be so frustrating, right? Like, here's this problem that you you can impact locally, and yes, do your thing locally, but you have all this waste coming to you from these other countries, and uh, you know you can't control that necessarily. You can try to impact it, but it, it's just frustrating. I, at least it, I I, w- I would be frustrated. Put it that way. Maybe yeah. I'm projecting. <laughs> well, I I think that maybe once you come out from looking at it from a a higher level, but one of the most amazing things that happens is when we have beach cleanups, we have hundreds of people who come to the beach for a beach cleanup. We typically do them on um, like Martin Luther King Jr. Day is a big one. We get two to 300 people come. And this is for some of them, the first time that they've been to a beach cleanup. And so they're actually then, and they come and they bring their families and it's a real community event. And, once you see these this plastic that then you know is not from here, I think the connection to, wow, this is a problem bigger than me becomes a real reality. And so, um, you know, park cleanups are great and school campus cleanups are great. And that just shows you like, oh, the chip wrappers or the plastic forks, um, you know, disposable diapers, those kinds of things. But when you're seeing the issue coming at you from a global perspective, I think that that really ignites something in you to want to be able to learn more about the problem, share about the problem, and then work to solve this problem. And it's so cool that you're engaging youth about the problem in particular, because now you're engaging a whole generation earlier, right? Whereas so many of us in the world have kind of gone about our lives and now we're all waking up as all this plastic is washing back on our shore. But you're engaging youth from the get-go who are like, this just isn't the way things should be. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny because when I was a kid, um, we, we'd go to the beach and my mom would make us 
pick up five pieces of trash. Well, she says it's three, but I remember five um, before we could we could leave the beach. And so um, my whole life, I've kind of had this problem of not being able to walk by trash and I pick it up and it I never really thought that it was weird until I moved to LA and my friends were like, no, you gotta stop picking up trash. I'm like, I can't, you don't understand. I can't walk by trash and not pick it up. Um, and so I know that from my own personal experience that, that um, having been made to Malama the Aina take care of things from a really young age has stuck with me through my entire life. And, um, and so making these switches um, to a more sustainable lifestyle, I guess, has not been difficult for me because it's been ingrained at such a young age. Yeah. It's funny. Maybe it's something in, the, in our Portuguese or Azorian blood because my mother also would have me walk around the neighborhood and pick up trash. I, I grew up in a, uh, on a dirt road in the woods of Cape Cod, so a mile from the beach. But um, we were kind of remote, but people often littered in our neighborhood. It wasn't really a neighborhood, but we had a dirt road and people kind of thought it was barren whatever and people would litter like no no big deal and my mom be like all right get out there go clean it up and it soon it became second nature as well where you know just picking it up and of course now my wife is the same like we're just if you see it you got to get it you got to pick it up um i think it's a good habit to have and develop i think Uh, it has to do a little bit maybe with island folks and um when you're from an island you um you rub elbows with everybody, you know everybody, and you know that it's your place to be responsible for it. It's nothing is like going somewhere else. You're you're faced pretty head on with these are the realities of this place, and it's our responsibility to take care of this place. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think you know Ethan Estes and I were catching up last night uh, and talking about islands as a you know case study for legislation in reference to Bill Forty and just how you know you can you can see uh, change here and how the communities are so tight and they can be really powerful models for the rest of the world to follow, which is really cool. I did while while I think of Ethan, um, you know, you earlier mentioned that uh, you try to meet people where they're at. Uh, which I think is a really great strategy. And Ethan, uh, in our podcast with with him, said, you know, art hits people where they're at. It allows them to have an emotional response on their level and interpret that sort of information versus science, which is a little bit more like this is the science, right? Art is a kind of, oh, I can interpret this how I want to and engage with it, interact with it. So um, I'd love to talk about that because we've done a couple projects together with Ethan, supporting his work, creating art and engaging people where they're at. And here that is, you know, the Vance Triple Crown series of surfing and the Billabong Pipe Masters, you know, last year, uh, Kukua was really the, the leader of the plastic free wave and plastic free pipeline project that we did. Um, and then this year you have another project coming up with Mark Cunningham and, um, some other local groups. Do you want to talk about those projects? Sure. So, um, the plastic free pipeline project was pretty cool. Um, it was super cool. You're underselling it. It was rad. It was so much work. It was so much work. It was so much work. I don't think we realized how much work it was going to be, but Ethan created this amazing, amazing piece of art. It was an eight foot high and 20 foot long wave made out of derelict fishing um, rope that was collected off of the beach here in Hawaii. And um, he actually built it here in our office. And so I was privy to see 
the entire project from beginning to end. And um, we set it up down at Pipeline during the Pipe Masters. And it was really cool because people, the goal of the of the installation was get in the barrel and get barreled. And so um, I don't think, I think people who go to surf contests not all of them. They're just fascinated by the sheer what it is and haven't really ever even been in the ocean or experienced getting barreled. And so mm-hmm. to be able to have someone stand on the board and feel that 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 sense of what it feels like to get barreled was really cool. Um, and there were people from all over the world who came and stood in the barrel and got barreled. And, and then we were able to engage them in conversations about marine debris and about um, the commercial fishing industry at large and, and um, knowing your fishermen and really thinking about this issue at a, from a global perspective. And yes, Kokua is really good at, we, we have a thing that we love working with as many partners as possible. Um, I've and, noticed that yeah. for better or worse. <laughs> <laughs> scheduling calls is always a challenge yeah. but you you make it happen yeah because I, I we we think it's really just important to engage as many people as you can and at the end of the day it's not really about like who gets the fame or the glory it's just the fact that wow we did this super cool thing and look at all our friends and new friends and and i think um especially in the nonprofit sector, sometimes there tends to be a little bit of competition because sometimes you're competing for funding, for grant funding. Um, And I think that we've just been able to make space for all the organizations to come in and and fill different niches and for us to be able to reach a larger, larger audience, a larger demographic. And so the partnership with WSL Pure, being able to reach, um, you know, millions of people who are coming to a surf contest, which, which isn't really something that, I think we would have normally engaged in, but seeing um, the numbers and the people and the effect and um, has been really cool. And the cool thing is that this wave lives on. the The wave is now at the Bishop Museum, and it's on display in um, in conjunction with their ex um, with their History of Surfing exhibit, which is going to be there through May. And so I think that's really cool too, because I know art is sometimes temporary. Uh, I think the theater part of me knows that. And that that was one thing in theater that I actually loved the most was at the end of the show when you're all loaded out and it's a blank, barren, empty stage. And you're like, wow, we were just here. And there was just like thousands of people that were experiencing this. And now we start over. And I kind of think surf contests are like that. You guys load all in and you set up all the, you make the magic and then you're out. And you're like, whoa, this thing just happened. Yeah, well, I think what's cool about Kakua specifically in this role with that project and the upcoming one um, is that, yes, we had the wave and we showed up and we did it during Pipeline and then got out. But in the process of building it, you engage so many school kids you know, throughout the, throughout the process with these uh, educational sessions, the kids were involved in picking up some of the material that was a part of the wave. I mean, all of that impact will live on. And then we at the WSL told that story in broadcast, we put it out on our social media, et cetera, so that we could reach more people. So that story lives on and that impact lives on and it goes way beyond just this event. And I think what's cool is that it's not just about Hawaii. Like we're talking about, this is happening everywhere. This is relevant everywhere. And by showing off the examples of people in their community stepping up and doing work like this, hopefully it shows more people, oh, I want to do something like that where I am. You know, how can I take that lesson back and build something similar in my community? How can I make it, uh, you know, relevant to my community? And so I guess my question to you would be, 
what tips do you have for people working in their communities? You know, what are what are some high level guidance? I mean, it sounds like one of them that is a Kakua sort of value is um, building coalitions, right? And, and engaging as many people as possible. What are the sort of what is your working method? What what advice do you have to people out there in the communities, whether they're a nonprofit or not, for how they can do work like this? I think building coalitions is is really um, a key, and I think that um, being able to identify people who are doing work that might not be directly in alignment with what you're doing, but a little bit in the same scope is really important. Um, I think it's also important to engage government um, agencies and officials and to always remember to invite them to the table as well as um, schools, engaging schools and um, parents and community members. I also think that sometimes we tend to, oh, that organization, they they're they they're not in alignment with what, what we do or they may have different values than us and so i think innately sometimes you just want to oh let, just let them do their thing but i think that um inviting people to the table everybody has a different perspective and a different methodology for reaching people and sometimes the folks who you think are the most unlikely partners you get the biggest benefit from um and so I think that that's really important. And can, can you give an example on that? Um, an unlikely partner who became a huge benefit? Well, okay. So Koku Hawaii Foundation, we do a lot of work in, in waste and waste reduction. <clears throat> and so uh, we were recently invited to participate in uh, the city and county of Honolulu does an annual 10-year integrated solid waste management strategic plan. And so um, we were invited to have a seat at the table. I was like, oh my God, I'm looking around the table and I've got like Covanta, the people who manage H-Power, our, our incineration facility. Um, a lot of like the Department of Health and a lot of these different- um, Big business. Big business, really yeah. big business. And uh, the interesting thing is we work with a lot of these big businesses with our small little school recycling program. And we teach the kids about, hey, did you know that in Hawaii we don't landfill, we incinerate? And so um, instead of making like the, the people who manage the incineration plant, the big bad guy, they were actually coming to the table saying, hey, we just did this waste composition study and we're noticing 40% of everything that's going into the landfill is organic matter. Uh, we really should talk about composting and what should we do when people are calling us and asking us that they have like this excess food that they want to donate. And so you see like the human side of, of some of these big businesses and 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 the people who work for them they're just people who live in our community who are trying to do the right thing um so we're really good friends with like the guys in the city and county who run the environmental services branch and um yeah i i think as if you can just get into government and if you can make friends with a, a lot of those people you'll you'll find you'll learn a lot and you'll be able to have conversations, I think, that you wouldn't likely have if you were sitting on the sidelines being kind of more of a judge than a participant. I think that's incredible advice. Um, you know, I, I think what you've done, I don't I don't know if this is a wrong use of it, but it's like that kind of aloha spirit of, hey, let's be here together. We're in this, we're in this together. Let's figure it out. Am I, as a Howley, fully recognizing, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I don't know too. what I'm talking about, but you know. No, it is. And I think that that's part of the magic of, of this place and the magic of the, um, of uh, the Hawaiian culture is, 
um, yes, that inclusivity and, and everyone is important and everybody plays a role. And that's, I think, by nature, indigenous cultures, um, we're, we're all important. And um, my big thing right now, and this is my challenge to many of the youth who are now going into college and studying environmental sciences and really seeing um, their passion brought to life through um through schooling and through post-secondary education is to come back to their place and get a job in local government, infiltrate the system. <laughs> um, these guys are aging out who may be holding the purse strings or the, um, the projects that you think um, could make this place a better place. So like get in there, don't be on the outside, like try to get in on the inside. Um, I say that also with politicians, like think about running for your um, city council or get a seat on your neighborhood board. You'd be surprised at how many decisions are actually made at the neighborhood board level as opposed to at like the, the, the executive branch level and how much really good work can happen within your own community. Um, and we're, we see that in Hawaii. We have a lot of really young people who hold government offices all the way from um, Brian Schatz, who's uh, on the Hill in, in D.C., who actually used to work for the Sierra Club and um, was one of the key proponents for saving the Sandy Beach, um, the Save Ka'iwi project back in back in the 80s when they were trying to develop Sandy Beach. And so um, my challenge is to to get these kids to directly engage with their municipalities in, in some way or another. That's awesome. Yeah. Local civic engagement is so important. And I think it's, I think it's amazing that it's become cool again. Yeah. You know, that you're seeing all these youth or, I mean, Jackson Hinkle is an example running for city council at age 18 in San Clemente and, you know, these youth examples of being a part of government and saying, Hey, we want to have a voice and, and change these things. It's just, it's so inspiring. Yeah. And I think, and I'm sure you'll, you'll speak to this in an in a upcoming podcast, but a lot of um, what's happening here in Hawaii, the groundswell around a lot of the legislation, um, the tide has turned because these youth are like directly engaging with, with their local politicians and demanding change. And it's really exciting. So cool. And I would say that a lot of that is due to Kukua and the work that you've done. To, oh, I mean, I, 10 years <laughs> of engaging youth is really, really powerful. Yeah. I mean, it's like we, uh, we would in no way, shape or form take responsibility for any of that, but do know that, that we um, contribute in a small way to lifting these kids up and making them feel like their voice is really important. I know you wouldn't take credit for it because you're a very humble team. Everyone I've met is incredibly gracious and humble, but I do think you've, you've had a strong voice in play there. It's really cool. I, I think it's awesome. So I, I really uh, appreciate your work and it's an incredible example. Um, one final question. What are you most excited about in the year ahead? What are you looking forward to? What's, what's, what's on your radar in and around the ocean that you're stoked about? Or other big projects coming up for Kukua? Yeah, I think for us, I mean... Um, really trying to get behind this idea of like plastic free communities. Um, there are some organizations in on, on the continent um, upstream. They're doing some really great, great work. Yeah. Yeah. I know Matt. Yeah. And around um, getting communities to be reusable. So like your coffee shop, you can only get reusable cups and um, there's great companies like GoBox where you um, get your food in a reusable container and you, 
put it out to be um, washed and, and reused. So I know that um, that that is really exciting to us. We've been venturing into getting hotels, working with hotels and, and businesses to um, minimize their single use uh consumption and, and distribution. So a lot of that work with businesses has been really, really exciting because I think that they know that this is what the people want. They just don't know how to do it. So how can we get in there and help them? I think that those are some, that, that's an exciting thing is helping the businesses. Super cool. I love it. Well, thanks for spending some time. Anything else you want to share? Um, just get outside and get in the ocean and go for a swim and pick up some trash and <laughs> go run for city council. <laughs> <laughs> just, just slip that one in. Yeah. Go for a swim, pick up some trash, run for city council. No big deal. I love it. I love it. Natalie, thanks so much for spending time with us and thanks for all the work that you do. Thanks for having me. It's really special. Thanks. Aloha. All right. You heard it. You've got your marching orders. Get outside, go for a swim and run for city council. <laughs> you might actually remember Kukua Hawaii Foundation from an earlier episode with its founder, Kim Johnson. If you haven't heard it, I really encourage you to go back, find episode 10 and hear more about Kukua's origin story. They're such a great organization and they're a women led organization, which is very appropriate in this Women's History Month. Hit the show notes. Check out Kakua Hawaii Foundation and um, thank you again to Natalie for spending some time with us. Also, thanks for sharing your knowledge and thank you listeners for listening. We really appreciate it. If you liked this episode, share it with a friend. And if you loved it, we'd love for you to review the show on whatever podcast reviewing site or platform or app or whatever you use. And of course, you can always find us online at WCLPR and at WCLPR.org. We've actually got a newsletter monthly. Not such a big deal. A little bit of ocean news, a little bit of what's going on in the pure world. If you go to WCLPR.org, scroll down, sign up for the newsletter. Cool. That's all we got for this time. We'll see you next time.